We're turning in the book of 2 Corinthians, please, in your Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll begin reading in verse 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's holy word. It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such an one caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such an one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. May God bless the reading of His Word. For his name's sake. Would you bow your head just for a moment with me around the throne? Ask God to draw near. Let's all pray. Our God and our Father in heaven, in the name of Jesus Christ, we come to thy throne of grace because we know we need grace and we need mercy. Every soul here tonight needs a word from God. Thy servant needs the power of the Spirit of God if he's going to preach in any way that glorifies Thee and benefits Thy people. So now, Lord, we pray that Thou wilt draw very near to us. Thou wilt corral any wandering thoughts, renew the outer man that we might, Lord, not be taken over by weariness of the flesh, but such would be the move of the Spirit of God. We would find both the inner man and the outer man refreshed this evening from hearing Thy word. O Christ, grant us grace to make much of Thee. Enable us to see life as Thou hast ordered it for our good and Thy glory. In Christ's name we pray. 
Amen and amen. Well, you all know the theme of the Bible conference of this week. Struggling saints. Struggling saints. Although the word struggle never, occur, never occurs in the New Testament of the authorized version, the Greek word where it does appear can also be translated struggle. Our English translation sometimes uses the word conflict. Sometimes it takes that word and translates with the word fight. But the idea is the same. Struggling, fighting, conflicted Christians. The fact of the matter is that this, this side of heaven, God's people struggle in many areas. While the word struggle may not appear, it is all over the Word of God. It's amazing to me how often that you find throughout the Scriptures, God through His Spirit and His Word dealing with the very struggles of His people. How to deal with the personal struggles that they face throughout their journey to glory. My text this evening is found in the middle of verse 7. There was given to me... A thorn in the flesh. Paul was struggling with this thorn, it's obvious. What was it, is the question. For many centuries, a lot of ink has been spilled by divines and commentators over the identity of Paul's thorn in the flesh. The remarks of some of these commentators themselves will shed some light on the difficulty of what this word really means, the thorn in his flesh. In introducing, for example, his his comments on this particular text, the American Presbyterian divine and commentator Albert Barnes says this, almost every expositor has had his own opinion about this. The Baptist predecessor to Spurgeon, John Gill, Many hours have been the thoughts and conjectures of men about what is here meant by the Apostle. A more contemporary commentator, Randolph Tasker, his comment on this phrase really sums up the problem quite nicely. He wrote, The difficult expression, thorn in the flesh, has given rise to an immense amount of discussion and to a great variety of interpretations, none of which has received anything approaching general acceptance. Therefore, you can see why Matthew Henry made the comment, we are much in the dark what this was. I'm dealing with a text tonight about which these great commentators are much in the dark praying that God will give us light for the darkness. There are over over a, a dozen, at least, different suggestions posited by commentators on just what it was Paul was suffering from, what he was struggling with in his life. They can be divided into two basic categories. Physical, it was something physical, or it was something spiritual. 
Regarding those who believe that Paul was suffering from some spiritual malady, the list includes depression, demonic visitations, enemies who opposed his ministry, and a variety of Satan's fiery darts. The preponderance of conjecture, and that's what we have to say it is at the end of the day, the preponderance of conjecture falls on the side that maintains that this thorn in the flesh was more of a physical problem that troubled Paul. You can't really make that clear-cut dichotomy between the two because we are so intertwined that the physical so often affects the spiritual. The suggestions along this line are that Paul was afflicted with poor eyesight due to ophthalmia, which is a severe case of uh, conjunctivitis or inflammation of the eye. Epilepsy, kidney stones, if you've ever had kidney stones and they keep recurring, you can imagine why he would be struggling with this physical ailment. Gallstones, gout, headaches, and finally earaches make the list. To make matters even more difficult, there is very little help given from any word study. This is the only time in the New Testament that this particular Greek word translated thorn is used. Its primary meaning in classical Greek literature, you'll be surprised perhaps, is stake or pale. It's not something small or tiny, like a little thorn that's irritating you. A pale or a stake. It's found in the historical writings of that time period to refer to impaling or crucifying someone. The basic idea in the word, it, it is something that is extremely sharp and pointed. The word Paul uses for flesh is the common Greek word that could refer to Paul's body or to his human nature or to his fleshly, carnal, sinful nature. Nor does the phrase, a messenger of Satan, give us any help in determining whether Paul's thorn was a spiritual problem, a physical one, or a combination of the two. It was Satan, you recall, who struck Job with boils. Very, very painful. It is also Satan who sends the fiery darts that are to be quenched by the shield of faith. That would make the thorn a spiritual infirmity. John Calvin believed that these, this thorn in the flesh would refer to any and all temptations that come by Satan to attack our flesh. Not just the body itself, but the fleshly nature to stir us up. To act in a way that's unhelpful, unbeneficial unglorifying to God. That was his take on it. Whatever it was, it was something that was extremely painful. It was something 
that was difficult to endure, something that Paul believed with all of his heart, its removal was urgent and necessary for him to carry on with a normal life, for him to carry on with his ministry. Paul was really struggling with this thorn in his flesh. Am I speaking to anyone tonight? No one else perhaps but you know anything about it. But you have been struggling with the thorn in your flesh. It's very painful. It's affecting your joy, your peace of mind, your comfort, your usefulness, your confidence, any ministry you feel you may have. And it's been going on a long time. Is that you? I can only gather, I can only gather that since God has led me to this theme and to the messages that we'll be hearing, there's got to be more than one or two here tonight that is struggling with this thorn in the flesh. After all that's been written about it, we are no closer to discovering the true identity of Paul's thorn in the flesh. But, but I, for one, am quite glad the Holy Ghost has not revealed it. I think there's many a child of God that would not find any help or comfort if he had been so specific and said, it was this. The way it has been approached by the Holy Ghost is that there is a fill-in-the-blank. Fill-in-the-blank. Whatever it is, you're a thorn in the flesh. That's so painful. You can't, you think, endure it any longer. It's got to come to an end. Fill in the blank meets us just at the point of our need. So I want, with the help of God, to preach this evening on a text of Scripture about which we simply cannot be clear on the details. But there is enough general information here, I think, that will help us if we are struggling with some thorn in the flesh. That's my subject matter, our struggle with that thorn in our flesh. My first thought this evening is the realities of our struggle with this thorn in our flesh. The realities, just the, the down-to-earth realities that we must hear and face once again as we think about it and pray God to give us the help to deal with it. First off, first reality, reality number one, thorns in the flesh are very painful Whatever this thorn in his flesh was, it was something that it brought tremendous grief to the soul of Paul. It was obviously a pain that persisted that would not go away. That word, uh, Satan, to buffet me, to buffet me, is in the present tense. In other words, this has kept coming and coming and coming and buffeting and buffeting and buffeting. There was no let up. It persisted. It had been going on for a long time. Moreover, he asked God three times, three times, and which would indicate that this was over a long, long period of time and that Paul felt it was unbearable. Why else would you go to God three times? And I don't think for one moment it was back to back. 
He prayed and he waited and he waited and he waited. But the answer didn't come. The heavens were silent. He prayed again with more earnestness and he waited and he waited and it got worse. He prayed a third time. A man so broken. I can hear him. Oh God, take away this thorn. I cannot go on anymore. Is that not which makes the pain so unbearable? We lose our patience. It's this prospect that there's never going to come an end to it. We're stuck in that place. And there is no remedy. There's not going to be any change. We pray God to take away the pain. To change that situation. It's causing us so much grief. But it remains. You know, we too often forget that this world is a veil of tears. The Puritan John Trapp put it like this. We come into this world with a cry and we go out with a groan. The entrance of sin into this world brought with it an ocean of grief that often fills our hearts with sorrow and our eyes with tears. In this world, we will have tribulation. In this world, we must expect heartache and not count these thorns, these painful experiences that seem to go on and on and on to be strange things, like it shouldn't be happening. Our day of, our day of unending bliss and freedom from thorns from the flesh is for another world, not this one. Never forget that. Painful thorns have always been and always will be part of our lot this side of heaven. I think you knew that, but I had to tell you. Second reality, there is no exemption from these thorns of the flesh. No one gets a pass. No one. Privileges don't exempt you. The Apostle Paul, as great a man of God as he was, as privileged as he was in seeing paradise and being given revelations in abundance, even he was given a thorn in the flesh that brought him grief so great that he felt, I can't take it. I just now think of my old friend Elijah sitting under the, under the juniper tree, running from Jezebel. He ran and ran for hours on end until he had no more strength to run, and he sat down under a juniper tree, and he said, Lord, take my life. It was a thorn for him. I can't bear this any longer. Have you ever been there? 
Lord, I can't take the pain. I don't want to live anymore. Take me home. Doesn't matter how privileged we have been in this world. We don't get a pass when it comes to thorns in the flesh. If this is true of the greatest of Christ's apostles, it's going to be true of us. If you have been blessed by God with great gifts and talents and great privileges and have enjoyed great nearness to him, do not think for a moment that you are immune to heavy afflictions. Rather, I would suggest to you, you better expect them. You become a target of the devil. Like Paul, we need these afflictions of life to balance out the blessings of life. Lest we think that we are sufficient of ourselves. It's amazing to me, still to this day, how quickly, how quickly we forget how absolutely dependent we are on the Lord for everything, for every breath we draw. And that's why he has to keep coming in to remind us. And sometimes it's very painful to remind us how much we need him how we cannot go a day without him. He makes us feel our need of him. And don't you know he loves it when his people feel their need? Don't you know he loves it when he sees his children saying, I can't do without thee, Lord. I can't get through this without thee. Help me, Lord. No matter how much our faith grows, no matter how Christ-like we may be, no matter how deep our understanding is of the gospel, this experience of Paul tells us that special privileges and experiences will not exempt us from thorns in the flesh. Think about it like this, if you will. God whispers to us in all the many blessings he gives us in life. But we can become hard of hearing. Hmm. You folks 60 and beyond know what I'm talking about, don't you? I find that's happening. I have to keep saying, what did you say? Hearing is declining. There's a spiritual counterpart to that. Regardless of your age, spiritually, you start losing your hearing. That those whispers of God, those sweet whispers that come as you read the word of God in the place of prayer, you don't hear them because, because there's been a drifting away and you've forgotten how much you need him. And so you know what the Lord does? Instead of whispering, he turns up the volume. And one of his ways of turning up the volume is by appointing that thorn in the flesh. And the Lord says, I've got their attention now. Maybe that's why the thorn in the flesh is your experience just now. Maybe. A second thought. Previous afflictions, 
previous afflictions do not exempt you. Not just privileges, but previous afflictions. Just because you've had to go through deep sorrows in life does not mean that you are exempt from being given a thorn in the flesh. If you turn back to chapter 11, just a page in your Bibles, you know the passage, I imagine, referring to those who were claiming they were ministers of Christ. Paul says, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors, more abundant in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent in deaths oft of the Jews. Five times received I forty stripes, save one. Fortieth stripe being the stripe of death. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and day I have been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without that which cometh upon me. Me daily the care of all the churches. And yet, Paul was given a thorn in the flesh on top of all of that. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? We have a couple of little hiccups in life. And sometimes we're ready to fall to pieces. Down in the mouth. Complaining, moaning, the Lord's forsaken me. What have I done wrong? Just for a couple of hiccups along the way. Can you imagine having gone through all of that? And now, in the plan of God, he sends this thorn in the flesh. You'd have thought, even by now, that, hey, listen, Paul, what you've been through, this should be easy. This should be easy. But it wasn't. It did bother him. So much so that he prayed to God three times to take it away. You you would think, you know, it was enough for Job to lose his wealth and his ten children, all at once. But after all of that unimaginable sorrow, Satan came to buffet him. You know, we only make, we only make our affliction more painful when we think that our previous troubles should prevent us from having more and greater troubles. They don't. Third, Powerful, persistent praying will not exempt you from a thorn in the flesh. Three times, we've, we've, we kept, we've been underlining this, three times he prayed. And I believe that Paul, being the apostle that he was, he prayed with faith in God, absolute faith in God. He prayed with boldness, with confidence, with freedom at his throne. And I believe he prayed with expectation. Could you imagine, could you imagine the apostle Paul calling upon God in the state that he was in and not expecting God to hear him give him the answer to his prayer? 
but all of his mighty praying didn't take the thorn away. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth, that means accomplishes much. But our asking isn't always in line with what God is going to give, as it was in the case of the Apostle Paul. It's a wonderful lesson, child of God. We can pray with so much faith, with so much confidence and expectation, praying with tears rolling down our face, and God will still say, no, it's not my plan. So the reality is that these thorns are painful. Secondly, there's no exemption from them. And thirdly, it is Christ who gives us these thorns in the flesh. Paul says in verse 7, Note it, there was given to me. There was given to me. Yes, he, he knew that the secondary causes of his pain, whatever the thorn was, whatever your situation is, the secondary causes was the messenger of Satan. But he realized that behind all of that, there was the sovereign hand of his God. There was the sovereign hand of his Savior. He didn't stop on the secondary. Let me say first under this thought, as it is Christ who has given us this thorn, whatever it is, we can be comforted to know that Christ fully understands what we're going through. He was called the man of sorrows, acquainted with our grief. So maybe you're in a situation where you are finding rejection from your family and your friends for some reason. You're just being rejected. Then consider Christ because he sure was rejected. Is your thorn loneliness? You who have lost your spouses know what it is to be lonely in a way you never knew before. Christ knew what it was to be all alone, utterly forsaken, even by his Father. Is your thorn poverty? It's a source of so much trouble for you. Things aren't getting better economically, as you all are aware. Maybe you're feeling the pinch. The constant, constant, where are we going to get the money to make the ends meet? And fear grips you. And what if this happens? And what if there's a recession? And what if I lose my job? And what if, and what if, and what if? And it's always just nagging away. And it's causing you so much grief. Don't you know the Lord Jesus Christ was a man of abject poverty? He knew what it was to be as poor as poor could be. Is your cross physical pain? Is your thorn mental anguish? Is it persecution? 
fear. No one understands like Jesus. You may well be able to say that no one understands the particular situation that you're going through. And that is true of many, many things. Only unless someone's gone through it do they understand someone else who's gone through it. But you can never say that about Jesus Christ. He understands, and that's what you and what I need. Someone who understands what we're feeling, what we're afraid of, who understands the emotional roller coaster that we can go on because of the thorn in the flesh. I need someone that understands and will sympathize with me. And I can know, well, he understands, though no one else does. He knows. He understands completely. A second thought under this heading. Christ never makes a mistake when he gives out thorns. This one who inflicted this awful pain in Paul's life knew exactly what he was doing, and he knows exactly what he's doing in your life. Whatever the thorn may be, he knew what he was doing when he planned to give it to you before the world was created. Before the foundation of the world, it was part of his plan. He didn't make a mistake. There's no such thing as an accident in the plan of God, right? No accident. He works all things after the counsel of his own will. Even the thorns in your life. It's that truth that I kept coming back to. Because I have no idea why the Lord took Kim. But he did. He didn't make a mistake. It was part of his plan from eternity. I can rest there. It makes the pain so much more bearable. I don't have to pray, Lord, take it away. Because it's your plan that I feel that pain. It's his plan that you feel that pain. We're going to be looking at numerous things throughout this week, these struggles that believers have, and all of them are painful. And I want you to remember all along, God is the one who gives the thorns. Christ is the one who planned it for us all. There was no mistake, no failure on God's part to take into account what Paul had gone through. Everything God sent into that apostle's life was according to exactly what he wanted to do. And whatever thorn, whatever grief God has sent your way, you can rest assured that he knows what he's doing. He knows what needs to be done in your life through that thorn. And he knows how much pain you can bear. He knows you don't, but he does. Therefore, do not murmur against the Lord's ways. 
I would suggest to you there is something very great he's going to accomplish in your life through the thorn. We don't like them. If we had our way, we would avoid every thorn, every affliction, every heartache that we could. We want happy days and sunshine all the while. But that's not God's plan for any of his people. Thorns are sent. They're not a mistake. There's a second thought we need to move on. The common response to these thorns in our flesh, the common response, Paul's Paul's initial response to his thorn in the flesh was to pray that God would take it away. That's the common response. Something happens, happens to our lives, it's painful, it goes on and on, we think we can't endure it, and then we call upon the Lord. And he says, verse 8, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice. That word besought is the verb form of the word paraclete. You know that word well. Paraclete. Paul was crying for God to come alongside and help him. It speaks of strong pleading. Compare that with Christ's prayer in Gethsemane. He prayed three times that the cup, if it be possible, would be removed. And is this not our initial response when painful ordeals that God sends into our lives? We want, we want deliverance from all the hurt. All the grief the situation is causing us, perhaps it's embarrassment. We we think we can't face God's people because it's so embarrassing. Oh Lord, make it go away. And so we go to tell the Lord about it. Perhaps we, we weep a little bit before him. We let him know that we're sincere about this. We ask him in some way, shape, or form to change our circumstances, to deal with this thing that's causing us the pain and the turmoil and the ruining of our peace, our contentment. Because we think in order to be content, we can't have this thorn in the flesh. In order to be really joyful and to sing praises to his name, the thorn's got to be removed. In order to have any effective ministry, whether it's in our family, with our spouses, with our children, in church, it's got to be removed because it can't happen otherwise. That's the thinking. But the situation doesn't change and the thorn is still there. And it is as painful as ever. Maybe it's even more so because things can go from bad to worse when you pray and you think that God's going to deal with it and He does it. And then you begin to be fearful. Is this going to go on? Is there no relief? So we go to God again. Like Paul, with more earnestness. I, I, I find that Christ in the garden, He prayed more earnestly. It's always struck me as amazing. You think that Christ would pray with perfect earnestness the first time every time. But he prayed with more earnestness, more earnestly. And we go to God with more earnestness, praying that he'll remove the thorn. And the situation is unchanged, and we become more impatient, and yes, more discouraged. 
maybe even depressed about it. We go a third time and we tell him we can't take any more, any more affliction, any more unanswered prayer, any more disappointment. We say it is enough. It's been over 30 years, but I remember driving from Pensacola, New Jersey to 209 North Newtown Street Road on a prayer meeting night. The thorn in my flesh that I had suffered with for 10 years was doubts about my salvation. I had prayed so many times that God would make this thorn go away. Just do something and lift it but it didn't go away. Sometimes you'd forget about it for a little while, but you always got brought back to it. Am I really saved? Do saved people act like this? Can I be a Christian with all my flaws and failures and sins? And that was going through my mind as I made that right-hand turn, as a, a, you call a petrol station on the corner. I turned the wheel of that little Mazda and I just began to weep and I said, God, don't you care? It's like the third time. Paul, Lord, I can't take this anymore. But for all the praying and all the tears and all the earnestness, God does not remove the thorn. And the lesson he's teaching us is that we need a different response to the thorn than the one we're having. A different response. My third thought. The only remedy for this struggle with our thorn in the flesh. The only remedy. Christ told Paul when he finally answered his petitions, My grace is sufficient. You don't need the thorn removed. I think about, it comes to mind right now, if you've ever had to care for an individual for a long, long, long period of time, it can really wear you out. How long will this go on? I've known elderly people who care for their more elderly parents. And depending on the level of their infirmity, it can be so severe and so testing to their faith. And they say, Lord, how long can this go on? My grace is sufficient. It's not taking away the thorn that makes life sufficient. That'll get you through. It's my grace. Now, I've come to believe more and more there is an abounding lack of appreciation of the word grace in the church of Jesus Christ. And I put myself at the head of the list. There is a fear of embracing grace. The grace of God for everything depending on grace and grace alone. 
believing with all of your heart, soul, strength, and might. What God's, when he says, my grace is sufficient, that's exactly what he meant, child of God. It doesn't matter what your situation, what your case may be, how long it's been going on, how bad it is, his grace is sufficient. It is all you need. And my fear is we've kind of heard that so often, we've repeated it so often, but somehow when it comes down to the nitty-gritty real-life experiences day in and day out, to believe it with all your heart, whatever it is, His grace is good enough. His grace is good enough. I imagine maybe Mr. Greer has shared with you that night we were up in that little bedroom in that house in Newtown Street Road. It was the umpteenth time for the umpteenth hour he had talked with me about my doubts. And it just came to a point after an hour, he said, John, it's not, it's not whether or not you're good enough for Christ, but is Christ good enough for you? And it was like a dagger in my heart. What I'd been saying for 10 years, I didn't know it. Christ isn't good enough. I need something else plus Christ. And that night I learned His grace is sufficient. He's all I need. And that's exactly what you need to believe when the pain seems to be so incredibly long and you can't go on. His grace is still sufficient. It's not just a mantra. It's not just a text on your fridge door or on your wall. It's something you and I must grow in our understanding of, belief in, and rest on. His grace is sufficient. But let's take the word grace. What word could we use, perhaps, that would sum up God's grace? I'll take the word love. My love is sufficient. Say that to yourself. Even when the thorn is cutting very deeply into your soul, Well, it hurts so badly. But his love is good enough. His love is all I really need. If I have that, that's enough. If I know that my God loves me, loves me with everlasting, infinite, unchanging, and unchangeable love, it's sufficient. Because He's not against me. His love is sufficient for any thorn, any sorrow, any affliction. He loves, He loves, He loves you and me. He sees the hurt. He sees the frustration. He sees the grief. He sees the tears. And there's nothing but love in his heart. You ever seen that with your children? You've had to bring the rod of correction to discipline them. A coarse correction in their life. The pain was there. And you saw them weeping. Did not your heart go out to them? Sure it did. You loved them. But you didn't withhold the rod. My grace, he says, is the grace of Christ. It belongs to him. He is the giver of that grace. He is, the, it's, it, it's Christ, it's the mediator. It, it's the, 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 the 
covenant-keeping Christ, the mediator of the better covenant that gives this grace. You know what that means? You know, we can, we can hear the jargon. We can hear the terms used and just, just fly off our mouth. But have we stopped to think what that means? Christ is the mediator of the covenant of grace. That means there is a divine guarantee that when we need grace, He gives the grace. He doesn't withhold it. No matter how low we go, no matter how hard it is, it's a sure thing that He'll have grace for us. My grace, my grace, I'm the mediator between God and men. I mediate this grace. I give this grace. It's my spirit that lives in my people. And I'll never stop giving them grace. Tell me something. (laughs) You who have been walking with the Lord many, many years. Why haven't you walked away yet? Newton nailed it. Tis grace hath led me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. It's not all my striving. It's not all my praying that's kept me. It's not all my or your study of the Word of God or listening to all the sermons or your steadfast church attendance. It's the grace of Christ that has kept us, that has led us every step of the way. It was the grace of Christ that led us into the painful situation. It was the grace of Christ that brought Paul to this painful thorn in his flesh. And it was the grace of Christ that said to him, My grace is sufficient. That word sufficient. What a word. I don't have the ability to really expound its its depth and its breadth and its length and its height. I just don't have it. Christ's grace is sufficient. The word that comes to my mind right now is the Hebrew word for God, El Shaddai. It's usually translated as all-sufficient God, El God, all-sufficient. But I had a, 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 an Old Testament professor in college. He said, you know what the root word of that El Shaddai is? And some have translated it like this, and it gives a wonderful picture. The word shad is the word for breast. He said it means the many-breasted God. Think about that one. He has all these bairns, as you call them, all these babies needing to be fed, needing nutriments and, and, and grace, and he has enough for them all. He has enough for you. I can testify, I can testify His grace is sufficient. Do you need strength to keep on, keeping on? Do you need comfort? Do you need wisdom or hope or holiness or joy or contentment, or love, or peace in your heart, or or, or victory, or restoration, whatever you need, 
Christ's grace is sufficient. I don't know, what do you need? What do you think you need this incoming week? This conference? What do you need? If there's one thing you could just nail down, preacher, there's one thing that I really need right now. What is it? What is it? You go ahead and write that down. Go home tonight, put it on a piece of paper. He said to write down the need that I feel more than anything else. And when you've written that down, put these words before it. Christ is sufficient for, there's your need. I think it's a big understatement. It's an understatement of the Holy Spirit to say His grace is sufficient. You ever read the story of C. Spurgeon traveling one day in a carriage, horse-drawn, of course, no cars. Spurgeon had trouble with depression, bouts of depression. Goes way, way down deep. And he was in one of those states as he was traveling, wherever he was going, I have no idea. Depressed as depressed could be. Everything was dark and gloomy. And the Holy Spirit impressed this text upon him. My grace is sufficient for thee. He started laughing. He started laughing. He went from depression to laughing because he saw almost if there was some humor in it. His grace is sufficient? I should say it is. It's the grace of the Almighty. It just turned his night to day. It turned Paul's night into day when he realized it's all I need. We think we need this. We think we need that. I've got to have this to be happy. I've got to have this to, to, to be content and to have joy and to be useful. It's utter nonsense. You don't. My grace is sufficient. Finally, in closing, the, the results of our struggle with our thorn in the flesh. Three things briefly. What will be the results? Seeing what Paul saw, it's sufficient. First, it will subdue our pride. And boy, does that need to be subdued. We've got to realize we're nothing. We have nothing in ourselves. We so need him. Paul said, verse 7, Lest I should be exalted above measure, there was given me a thorn in the flesh. One of the great things that God goes for when the pain and the affliction of the thorn comes is to humble us, to humble our pride. Because it's always ready to rear its ugly head. Always. We are naturally self-centered. Any of you have a, spat, a little spat with your wife or, or husband today? Did it happen? I know you're not going to confess and stand up. I had, a, I had a spat with my wife or my husband today. But I'll tell you why it happened. Because of pride. Only by pride cometh contention. Do you find yourself murmuring at God and what he's done? Lord, how can you do this? Don't, don't you understand? Well, why is that? You're going to murmur against your God, your Savior? And tell him he's doing something wrong? How, how do we get the arrogance to do that? 
And so God says, I know what pain's going to do. It will humble our pride. This takes us down where we're before God and we're saying, Lord, I just can't do this. I need grace. The Apostle Paul, as mighty as he was, was subject to the folly of pride just like everybody else. God knew because he had blessed them with so many unusual blessings, Paul's going to get proud. I need to humble him. If this thorn in the flesh, whatever it is, is needed to humble us and keep us humble, I would say thank God for it. Thank God for it. Because the proud he knows are far off. The proud he knows are far off but he gives grace to the humble. There's nothing worse than old pride that puffs us up and we think we're somebody, we think we're God's gift to the church, we become critical and judgmental of others and are quick to point out their faults and all we're seeing is the little splinter in their eye and pride has blinded us to the log in our eye. And so God sends along that pale, that sharp pointed pale and he humbles us. It produces something else. Gladness. Most gladly, therefore, verse 9. Most gladly, therefore. He's gone from this depths of sorrow and pleading with God and misery to most gladly, therefore. And then verse 10. I take pleasure in my infirmities. And he gives a list of them. Somehow this all played into his, I think, the thorn in his flesh, whatever they are. But he's saying, I actually take pleasure in them. Now, you can, can you think that right now? The, the thorn that you may have named up front at the beginning. I take pleasure. I take pleasure. Because I see and I feel my weakness, and it's when I am weak that I'm really strong. I really have power. It's not in having the thorn removed. In fact, it's the thorn. It's, the, it's through the thorn that I get strength. God using the thorn to put my eyes where they need to be upon the all-sufficient grace of Jesus Christ. Finally, result. This is the thing that we're here for. This is why the Lord saved you in the first place. Christ is glorified. Christ is glorified. He's going to glory in his infirmities. And what he's really getting at is, it's I'm going to be able to glorify Christ in a way with this thorn in my flesh that I could not do without it. Don't you see? The pain had to come to enable Paul to glorify Christ in a way he could never before. And isn't that what we want to do? You strip it all away and what a child of God wants to do. Lord, I just want to please you. I just want to glorify you. I just want to be an instrument in your hands that will bring honor to your name. That's all I want in life. 
do with me as you will. Send grief or pain. That's the prayer. And that's how we deal biblically with this struggle with our thorn in the flesh. God read his word on our hearts for his name's sake. Could we bow our heads in prayer? Let's all seek the Lord together. Father in heaven, thou knowest the, the folk that are here tonight. Thou knowest those who are feeling the pain of that thorn, maybe many thorns. Thou dost know those here this evening who are about to feel the pain of that thorn they never saw coming. We pray that thy truth this evening would be that which would settle them, which would ground them in the way when the pain comes. They'll remember, they'll remember that Christ is sufficient. His grace is all they need. Send us to our homes. Give us rest this evening to come to thy house tomorrow to hear a word from God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.